Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. With easing of COVID restrictions and a rallying stock market, we ask if China is on the cusp of a post-pandemic boost and what opportunities may it bring. With Sarah Gresty, Head of Investments, Rob Mansell, Senior Investment Manager, and Francis Adai, Senior Investment Strategist. Welcome to another edition of Word on the Street. This time we're focusing on China and emerging markets. We're very lucky to have Rob, who focuses on that area within our team, and also Francis, a Senior Investment Strategist, to help us make sense of everything. But before we get started with China, Francis, has there been anything newsworthy in the markets to update our listeners on? Yeah, sure. So firstly, maybe just a general update quite quickly. I think risk assets such as equities, corporate bonds, etc. have had a very strong start to the year. More specifically, the cyclicals of value area such as European stocks have really outperformed um, beginning of the year. And uh, not to forget China and EM have also had quite strong performance. This week, we've had several economic data points. UK inflation has come in much lower than expected But um, given the strong employment uh, market at the moment in the UK, it's most likely that the Bank of England stays on its current path of increasing interest rates to bring inflation down. The main topic that most market participants have been focusing on this week, I would say, is the monetary policy meeting from the Bank of Japan. So this took place on Thursday. And in the lead up to this, um, most people, most market participants were expecting the Bank of Japan to announce some form of loosening of, of its yield curve control policy. Now, the yield curve control policy is effectively something that was put in place to allow the Bank of Japan to keep bond yields really low without having to continue their, their massive um, bond buying programs, which they had been doing for years. And how they did that was simply they they would set a target for the ten for the ten year government bond yields. So initially, the target for ten year government bond yields was between negative zero point two five percent to positive zero point two five percent. So if the yield went above it, then the Bank of Japan would intervene, buy some bonds to bring the yield back which is something that worked for a very long time. And the idea behind that was for the Bank of Japan to keep interest rates low, to keep borrowing costs low and spur economic activity. Now, at the December meeting now, there, there was a surprise announcement where they, they changed that ban from 0.25 to 0.5, which took markets by complete surprise. So leading up to this month's meeting, naturally, there, were, there was an expectation that there will be a further widening of the ban, which didn't happen and um, bond yields, Japanese bond yields went up and uh, yen also spiked up as in outperforming the dollar. But that's probably what's rocked the market a little bit this this week, I would say. So maybe moving from Japan to China, I'll start with you, Francis. Can we pinpoint a specific catalyst which spurred the start of the recent rally in Chinese equity? It probably would be the Chinese Communist Congress last year. So this this was between the the mid, mid to late October. And shortly after that meeting where several announcements were made, which I'm not going to go into because we don't have the time, but um, effectively they were all quite negative for the markets. So the markets took it quite negative and Chinese equities sold off significantly. But shortly after that, it really began with the 
um, US inflation print coming in lower, which reversed the whole risk sentiment globally. So most risk assets rallied, including Chinese equities. And then shortly after that, there were rumors surfacing in China of the government planning on starting to loosen their strict zero COVID policy. So moving from a, a very, very strict policy to a less restrictive policy where people may be able to go out more, uh, less quarantine time, etc. So on the rumors, markets uh, rallied. Then once official statements came out from the health authorities, etc., confirming these rumors, the market rallied further. Now, consequent to that, obviously, once all of these statements started coming in, over time, the narrative has shifted from loosening these restrictions to a complete removal of the zero COVID policies, which is where we are today. And what's interesting is that for most of December, cases were rising quite rapidly, which is to be expected if you remove all the restrictions, right? But equity markets completely ignored that, which as unusual as it may seem, it's, it's quite common actually. The nature of equity prices is that they tend to be forward-looking. So right now they're already looking past this whole period and they're looking forward into three, six months from now where we've gone back to normalcy and they're pricing what that world would look like right now. Oh, that's really interesting, Francis. Um, Rob, maybe if I could bring you in now. Are there any different views from our managers? Yeah, I'll, uh, I mean, we speak to lots of different managers and there's a, always a broad range of opinions on what's going on in China. The Certainly the managers who've, who've been positioned on the right side of this rally will tell us that they saw this coming a mile away and this was all to be expected, whereas the, the managers who, who have less exposure to China in their portfolios will probably tell us that they're, they're happy to, to sit out the initial bounce after sort of peak pessimism, I guess, last year. And they're, they're now looking at how they position their portfolios going forward, to Francis's point. Probably best to sort of take a view somewhere in the middle from that. I think, you know, when, when I was on this podcast last time, we were talking about the Party Congress in China. And that was probably, you know, the, the sort of peak for, for pessimism about what could really be bad in China. And I think what Certainly the view from most managers that we speak to is that I think the market is is starting to wake up to the fact that it's not all necessarily bad news and things might actually just be a bit better than than we'd all thought at the lowest point last year. So it's probably more just a, a shift in sentiment that was that it was really depressed a lot by the impact of COVID on consumers and and all the lockdown related troubles that have gone with that. So so no, I think from the managers that we speak to, they're they're talking about the huge build up of demand with people just ready to go and do things in China again, and and that can only be a bit better news, I guess, than what we were hearing for most of last year. Excellent. Okay, so that brings me on to another question I'm really keen to ask: Do you think the Chinese economy will get back to anywhere near its historic economic growth levels in 2023. And Francis, I'll give Robert a bit of time to think. Do you want to start with that? <laughs> yeah, sure. So I think um, the days of double-digit double digit economic growth numbers are probably a thing of the past now. Okay. With that being said, for this year, it's, it's very, very likely that the Chinese economy has a massive bounce um, relative to, to where it was last year. And if we look at this whole reopening story, which has been happening by sort of mid this year, I would expect um, the Chinese economy to have recovered massively, which will be driven by domestic household consumption initially. After that initial phase, 
or beyond that initial phase, I should say, the outlook becomes a little bit less certain because then the drivers change and it'll be more dependent on global demand. So if the rest of the world starts to slow down and there's less demand from the rest of the world, you should see a slowdown in China, or at least China shouldn't outperform by a massive margin relative to the rest of the world. The other issue perhaps is also the property sector, which last year, or actually for the, for the past two years now, has been trending down. So home sales have been falling. Many of the property developers were in distress. So what happened to the property market in China is also a huge driver of how successful China's economy will be this year. Okay. Um, maybe a little bit more of a specific question for you, but where do you think the opportunities for active managers are in the different industries in China going forward? And what are the risks that they need to be thinking about in this environment? Yeah, so the obviously the stock market yeah can be very different to the economy certainly in the in the short term. So so China is is certainly an area that managers will tell you there's lots of opportunities and and risks to go looking for or find. Certainly, uh, there are a few probably core themes if you like that lots of managers talk to us about. This can be things like really opportunities to invest in those companies that are poised to benefit from you know, any kind of reopening. So that's things like the travel and entertainment sector, uh, which have obviously, you know, really taken a battering for the last three years, really, I guess. Uh, so the assumption, you know, of any kind of economic activity on that side should should support stocks in those sectors. Things like the beaten down growth stocks, as they call them. So this is sort of the, the mega cap Chinese tech companies, which have really come off a lot since the the peak probably in 2020 and there are a variety of managers looking at these stocks now these aren't just growth stocks these days but they're being looked at by managers who are probably we're more familiar seeing picking up stocks that have really fallen out of favor a lot are, are unloved and you know are really on the sort of deep value end of the spectrum if you like but also the growth managers are looking them again because policy looks like it might be a bit more supportive in China for these kind of stocks now, or at the very least, it won't be depressing. These companies uh, are pushing down on these companies' earnings as hard as it was in the last few years. And we're starting to see some of that come through in better than expected earnings and profitability. And certainly that that is an area of focus for lots of managers. The other ones are areas with, with clear, more clear government support. So this could be things like Chinese companies that are offering these kind of substitutions, import substitutions in the supply chain for technology. So the US has, has got banned access to certain technology for Chinese firms, but uh, there are domestic companies in China that are stepping up to sort of fill the gaps that were left empty by these foreign companies in, in China. And there is a, a much higher level of awareness of, of the importance of being self-reliant in the technology supply chain in China now. And I think there are companies in China ready to kind of really pick up the slack. And that is an area of focus for, for managers. The other one is renewables, which uh, covers a, a broad church, I guess, but they remain that kind of long-term attractive theme. So this could be things like solar companies, so solar panel producers in China, wind turbine manufacturers, electric vehicle manufacturers, and battery companies. So I think that is still a long-term investment theme for lots of managers. So maybe moving away from China, maybe we could end with how are the other emerging market economies going to hold up this year? So Francis, what's, what's your prediction here? 
Sure. My my magic crystal ball. Excellent. I'm glad you put it out. <laughs> so um, in, in our assessment, it's very likely that this current recovery in, the, in Chinese economy and Chinese markets is likely to have a, a more muted impact on the other emerging market economies. Now, historically, they obviously both you know, move in tandem. They correlate quite strongly. But currently, there's reasons to believe that there's a disconnect in, in cycles between China and other emerging market economies. If, if we take, for example, Korea and Taiwan, who are close neighbors and have strong ties with China in terms of um, trade and even more in terms of heritage, etc. China at the moment is in a position where they face no inflationary pressures. So unlike the, most of the world, there's, there's inflation in China is really, really low. Which, um, again, makes sense because for most of last year, they've been in and out of lockdowns. And in 2020, they never had a severe lockdown for a long period to begin with. So inflation never really took off in China. So the monetary policy in China is geared towards more growth and stimulation um, economic activity. If you contrast that with Korea and Taiwan, for example, both countries are heavily dependent on global trade, which has been falling. If you look at the export numbers from Korea, um, so that the, the preliminary 20-day export numbers, if you look at Taiwanese export orders, etc., they're all very, very low. In Korea's case, is I think it's the lowest it's been since 2008 on an annual basis. So if you look at the central bank policies of Korea, for example, as well, they're more aligned to what's going on in developed markets, i.e. they're close to completing their interest rates hiking cycle. So there's still a lot of restrictive policy rather than stimulative policy. And these factors combined you know, strengthen our view that it's very likely that other emerging markets will be less impacted this time around. And it's also been quite visible in their performance. So if you look at how uh, MSCI Emerging Market Equity Index has performed relative to the same index excluding China, there's a massive gap in favor of the index including China. So that's another signal that gives us or strengthens our core views. Interested. And Rob, have you heard anything interesting from managers on where specifically the opportunities are beyond China? Have you got any countries? Yeah, I mean, Francis talks about the index. I mean, there's lots of, I mean, there's thousands of stocks in the emerging market index and thousands of stocks beyond that, that managers in emerging markets can can choose from. So there's always going to be that broad investment universe and, and lots to choose from. I think one country that got a lot of headlines last year was India. And I think a lot of managers that we speak to certainly see that as a very long-term positive structural story and it still remains extremely compelling. I would, the flip side to that argument and the comment that often follows from even the same managers is that the, the valuations for that for for those, some of those stocks in India is looking a bit rich at this point. And I mean, that's always a good leader from them to say that that makes selection, stock selection, all the more important. And there is certainly some truth in that. I think with so many stocks to choose from, you know, selection is very important and finding the right managers who can do that is certainly important for us as a team. The interesting thing that we hear from managers is that, you know, these guys are, the teams are back traveling around. So back on the ground in India, and back on the ground in across emerging markets, really now that travel restrictions are off. So one manager told us they were in India a few months back and spent time with the senior executive of a particular generic drug producing company. And what they were doing was trying to stress test their investment thesis around the culture of this business. 
So this is something that this investment manager believes is very crucial to the long term long term success of, of businesses that they invest in. So this is about the sort of employee culture, if you like, and, and what goes on within that business. And what they're looking for when they go and see these companies is signs that, you know, even if the stock market has recognized them and the, the price of these shares have gone up, there is still scope for improvements. And that's under the bonnet within these companies, which can lead to tangible results, you know, in terms of sales growth and margin improvement and these long term factors that can really continue to drive share price performance. So it's interesting to hear how managers go looking for that edge and really getting back and out and seeing these companies is a big part of that for for lots of managers that we speak to. The other one that or the other thing that people love doing with emerging markets is looking at what did really well last year and trying to predict if it's going to do as well this year. The surprising one last year was Turkey. So that was the best performing market in emerging markets. And Turkey has, I guess, gone on its own path in terms of dealing with inflation and growth in the nicest possible sense. And the market rallied significantly last year. And I think, you know, we, we spoke to a manager who'd gone out to Turkey to see whether there is anything behind that, you know, to, to see whether the recent run in the market is sustainable. And a lot of that was focusing on uh, whether there's any realistic chance of political change in the elections that are probably coming this year and and looking for some alternative to the, the sort of current government out there. The This is a, an EM manager that really focuses on country analysis and looking at what's going on in economies and things like that, as well as combining that with a bottom-up kind of stock selection approach, which, you know, is a very differentiated approach and something that we look for. The conclusion from their trip was that the risks of that particular country are certainly too high for them to build any conviction in at the moment they think you know the the rally looks fragile and very few investors have actually been able to participate in that given foreign ownership of that stock market is very very low so while the headline numbers might look great the reality of who of who's really participating in it and what's driving those markets is more opaque and i think for them they're saying okay we'll keep an eye on this and see if sentiment changes and what happens this year but but we are not willing to make that kind of risky judgment at this stage and that's kind of what what you have to look for in emerging markets we saw things can go very wrong very quickly in emerging markets so having a certain amount of paranoia is probably a good thing for managers as well as a certain degree of optimism I like that, Rob. So optimism and paranoia. I think that's probably all we've got time for today. Thank you, Rob and Francis, for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Look forward to having you both on again soon, because I think there is lots to talk about here. But speak soon, everybody, for another Words on the Street. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.